Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. It's that time again. You should know who this is, and I hope you know where you are. This is Tyler Sheff, and I am the co-host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And I have a I'm gonna call you a special guest because you took two <laughs> weeks two weeks off while you were playing Flight Simulator. No, guys, not the Microsoft one. Their work actually makes them do it. And you were flying the friendly skies. Welcome back to the show, Mike. <laughs> I know. I, I do I do feel like a guest now. Yeah, so th- those who don't understand the whole pilot thing, yep. as an airline pilot, everyone's like, oh, I want to be an airline pilot. You make so much money and you travel the world. There's three times a year where you're threatened with losing everything. Everything. Yeah. And that's uh, two times when you go see the doctor. And then that big one time a year when you get put in a simulator and then they try to kill you and crash you. And if they kill you and crash you, you lose everything. Oh, God. All those years you put in, all that money, all that, uh, the future that you plan, it literally is, is on the line every time. That's right. Um, which is why I'm here, which is why I'm trying to get um, more multiple sources of income because I don't think anybody should have to live a life where they're constantly wondering, am I going to be able to keep this job? I'm going to be able to keep this job. What if, what yeah. if? It's not fun. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I will say people missed you. I got four different texts and I got five emails going, is Mike coming back to the show? I don't know if I should be personally offended. Like I'm not good enough <laughs> <laughs> or they, they, uh, they love having you on the show. I know I love having you on the show. So that, that helps. But, um, I should have disclosed up front guys. When I asked Mike to join me on this podcast as a co-host, he did throw out that caveat. Look, I can't commit to every week because my schedule is not my own yet. <laughs> once we exit the fund and the investors got a big fat payday and Mike and Tyler get a big fat payday. I don't think Mike will be flying the friendly skies by force. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll probably be in like a P 51 warbird or some cool plane. You'll be shooting around Colorado. One. Oh gosh. I've been picking them out. Yeah. Well, what I kind of just described, like the, everybody's idea of the airline pilot life. It's right. not always the friendly skies. Uh, it's sometimes it's the stressful skies and that's kind of what I, we want to discuss today. It's like, you know, we hear a lot on YouTube or wherever podcast, wherever you get your information from, Oh, I'm rich. I'm rich because of this real estate or stocks or anything, but there's a reality side to it too. Yes. And that's kind of what we want to discuss today. There's a stressful part to any, any, friendly sky or what looks like a perfect financial situation. You mean to tell me that when you walk down the gangway at the airport, there's not like four blonde stewardesses on each arm. Uh, actually yesterday I had uh, two passengers scream at me as I was getting on the plane. I'm like, I don't even fly you in here. Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite the opposite. Well, guys, people listen to this podcast because there's no fluff. There's no bullshit. I'm, we're not going to blow smoke up your, your backside. We're going to tell you the reality of how it is. And sometimes that doesn't resonate with people because they want the easy button. I, what brought us to this episode, what inspired this episode is one that Mike, you listened to. And I was actually a little surprised. It was a bigger pockets episode. I don't listen to the, that episode or those, that podcast for any particular reason. I, I can tell you why actually I stopped listening to it. Now I remember back when Josh Dorkin did it and the bearded homeless guy what's his name uh, <laughs> i can't the homeless millionaire is what i call him yeah i forget his yeah uh brandon turner anyway brandon those turner, guys, yeah. they spent a lot of time 
bullshit at the beginning. Now I know we do too, but it, it went on for sometimes for 20 minutes. And it's like, okay, we don't have time for 20 minutes because I got to go. I got, I'm trying to get financially free, get to it. And there was an episode about his cash flow debt, which is one of the reasons why we named this one because it caught my attention. And it's, and it's a great episode. So I'm going to start with you, Mike, is cash flow debt. That title hooked me into that bigger pockets. That's right. And the, the answer is cash flow is absolutely not dead. In fact, opportunities are out there because people think it is dead. However, just like everything, every, the market is constantly changing. So you can't use a specific model, uh, short-term rental arbitrage all the time. You have to look at the market and kind of adapt to it. And that, that's, unfortunately, people kind of like grab onto one way of doing it, subject to or short-term rentals. And then they make it that their baby. And then when their baby turns out to be ugly, when it grows two years old, they don't know what to do anymore. I can tell you, I made that mistake starting out. I got hooked on originally flipping houses. I thought that was the only way to wealth. I learned that it wasn't because it was not tax advantaged. Yeah. And I made, when I started making, when I stopped losing money and started making money, it wasn't really, it was helping me, but not helping me enough. I needed to change how I earned my money so I could lower my tax obligation. Then I got hooked on multifamily. And I'm a guy that would tell you multifamily is the only way to go. Nothing else makes sense. But as I got into it a little more, Mike, I realized that there's only so far you can go on rent increases. Being a landlord myself, seeing these syndications go on. In the last couple of years, I've been standing back going, I understand that you're going to put new countertops in and you're going to change the carpet to something neutral. And you're going to take what's now $800 a month rent or $700 a month rent. And you're going to pro forma rent it. 1250 to 1800 that's not sustainable and there's gonna the some point the chickens are gonna come home to roost that's not a real estate market crash that's an affordability crash so when i started seeing that happening and i started seeing people paying four hundred thousand dollars for a duplex that rents for 750 aside i started realizing that okay maybe this is a uh, asset class that i'm gonna just distance myself from a little bit to see what's going on. So I stopped buying small multifamily. When we first started the fund, we were out looking for at great mm -hmm. lengths. I mean, how many, how much time do you think you and I have invested in our first six months trying to replace the, uh, the uh, hotel there, the short-term rental in Key West months and months and months and months and months. Yeah. How yeah. many deals did we look at? Or I should say opportunities did we look at? Oh, it, it was nonstop. It was nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. We got in the car and we booth, we knocked on doors and we bootstrapped and we talked to neighbors and we sent direct mail and we did all kinds of things. And did we find opportunity? Yeah, sure. You know, that ice cream place there, Mike, I call it ice cream because it's in the address that uh, fish camp that we looked at. Oh yeah. I ice cream road in Leesburg. Got withdrawn. Never did sell. All the things that we looked at, some of them, they've all sold. I would say probably 20% of those were withdrawn from the market. But they're 80% to 75% sold. And now a good number of these are back on the market. Why do you think that is, Mike? Because the market's changed. It has. Market's changed a lot. I mean, after 2020, everyone thought they can uh, make a million dollars from a shack on the side of the road. And they and did. For a few months, absolutely, they did. Yeah. And unfortunately, the word spread really fast. And then everyone tried to do the same thing. And when it didn't work anymore, they didn't have a plan B, C, D, E, E, F. I'm not going to do the Grant Cardone and, and tell you what I think you should have done after you already know, because that's what a lot of these podcasters and YouTube channels tend to do. Oh, well, if you would have been like me, you'd be fine. I'm going to share a little short story with you guys. It's recent news. 
my vacation, I have a vacation rental with four units in it in Tarpon Springs, Florida. I've had for years. That has been my crown jewel investment property over anything else. I love that one because the returns are infinite. I love it. I love it. I love it. I've got other assets that, that return well. I'm, I mean, all my stuff now returns well. Otherwise I wouldn't have it, but this one always just, just knocked it out of the park. All the times that Mike, you've come to Tarpon Springs once, have I been able twice, there was been a vacancy long enough to get you in there to where the investors wouldn't have to cover any transportation costs and we wouldn't have to cover any transportation costs because we didn't put any money out. Right. So that works. We were so busy that I literally had to stay in my camper sometimes uh, when I was at that property working on our Tarpon Springs properties for the fund or property for the fund because it was so, so I was a fat cat for many years. Last month, I had five booked days, five booked days on all apartments. And that was one family that booked all four apartments for five days. Those were my only reservations. Wow. Ouch. So if you, if you look at that, it covered the expenses by like pocket change. So I'm going to go ahead and say there was no profit because after paying the cleaners and, and whatnot, that basically broke us even for that month. That was a property that was churning a consistent eighteen to twenty thousand dollars a month. Consistent, it rocketed to the bottom. You may that's say that's important for everyone to, to hear. Yeah, because it's, it's saying, not always peaches and cream. It's not, and you t- talk about a, a culture shock. Oh boy, I love that income. Uh, I got used to that income, and when that income came to a screeching halt, it woke me up. I was like, oh boy, better circle the wagons. This inflation situation that we've got going on right now is real. It's not going away. I don't care what the White House or what the media wants you to know. It's not going away. For me to have an entire month virtually or three weeks of vacancy is out of the, out of, it's crazy. I have not had to run paid ads for that property for two years. And buddy, I tell you, I was running paid ads last week or a couple of weeks ago to get that thing done. But here's the thing. Now, with that, people will say Airbnb is dead. And folks at home, I want you to listen to the sound of my voice. Airbnb is not dead. That's not a diagnosis. That's like going to a dermatologist, in Mike's case, going home to Janelle and saying, <laughs> I got a rash. And Janelle saying, oh, really? Then you must have cancer. Let's go ahead and give you some chemo. Just because you got a red spot doesn't mean you have cancer. It means you have a red spot. Now we got to figure out why that's going on. And where a lot of the I'll call them influencers, as I say, a tongue in cheek, tend to pontificate. They'll focus on giving you all these hypotheses of what the problem is, but they're not actually looking to see what the problem is. So you guys are probably wondering, well, what happened, Tyler, in Tarpon Springs, your property, that things went so out of control? Well, number one, the city of Tarpon Springs put out that they don't really have the authority to uh, enforce their short-term rental regulations. Word got out. And there was a big upset in city city government where a lot of people that were the enforcers went went away for whatever reason. I'm not going to get into that in this podcast. So all of a sudden, a bunch of newbies showed up and flooded the market with cheap alternatives. Where I'm trying to get 150 a night, 250 a night on the weekends. Now there's people putting units on the market at 50 bucks a night. And you think, well, that's not competition, Tyler. They'll fail, and I agree with you. They will fail. But when that happened last month, I noticed. I started looking at. I can look at. I'm a key point indicator, right? I want to look at uh, what's going on in the market. I can tell you what every hotel is charging in that community per night dynamically. Like on the 15th of the month, I can tell you how much they charged in the past 
and how much they're charging over the next couple of days based on advertised rates. Okay. The new folks rocketed to the bottom for two reasons. One, they want to get feedback so they have some legitimacy. And the second piece is because they want to get some money in the bank because they just put out a bunch of money getting this unit. They haven't done the math and they don't really know where their costs lie. They're not clear on where their costs lie. The problem with this in my market is a lot of the other other owners and hoteliers use what they call dynamic pricing in their business model to adjust their pricing based on market fluctuations. Mm-hmm. So if, if Tyler shows up and with cheap rentals and drops those on Airbnb and VRBO, these people that automate their pricing, which I do use a level of automation, but I'm not completely automated. They're checked daily. I get a report every morning and I go, no go based on the, the, those results, but I want to verify my data points. So I don't get caught in the race to the bottom, but a lot of folks do. And that's what happened in Tarpon Springs. You had a whole bunch of the hotels went rocketed down. As soon as the Airbnbs went in, the hotels, the, the lazy ones that were using the automation systems, those automation systems made radical changes to their pricing literally overnight. The Airbnb type models that are using hotel data sees that happen. And that automated pricing rockets down everybody else. So it becomes a market specific problem that, by the way, Mike, was not happening in Clearwater. Because I checked other properties in Clearwater, and that was not the case. That was a specific to 34689 zip code. The market changed because more people came in. It became saturated all of a sudden with uh, bottom feeders, basically. Everyone has a race to the bottom, which, as you you mentioned, historically, the race to the bottom always ends in death and destruction to those who hit the bottom. (laughs) Not a long race. (laughs) Yeah. But what I like about your story is, you know, you always talk about opening up the kimono, Right. A lot of influencers, you watch them driving Lamborghinis. So you're like, oh, Tyler must be having a Lamborghini because he was making $18,000 a month on this fourplex in Tarpon Springs. Well, I know him now. He doesn't have a Lamborghini. In oh, fact, he'd, no. probably, he'd probably hate a Lamborghini. But the fact of the matter is, Tyler, were, were you living off the income from these short-term rentals? No. Uh-uh. And that's no. the big misconception. When people hear, oh, he's making $18,000 a month, he must be living the high horse. But in fact, Tyler is not relying on that income at all. And matter of fact, I think Jill just squirrels all that money away, right? I haven't seen one red cent out of that particular property in four years. When we bought that property, we committed to ourselves that we were not going to live off that money until we were well into our retirement. We still live that to this day. And for us, that's been our saving grace. So when things do go haywire, because I don't want any of you to think that these things don't happen to everyone, everyone. You know, people, well, Tyler can go out and buy these properties and they always cash flow. That is not accurate. Mm-hmm. I have had properties that have been turned, that's looked like to be great deals that have turned into complete hellholes of a deal. I mean, they're nice properties, but I've over-improved properties. We lost three weeks of cash flow, which is huge money, huge money. Uh, so it happens to everybody. And in this episode we were listening to, it seemed like they even said, but it's going to sound like we're bragging. Well, they're right. It sounded that way. And hey, you know, if these things are all true, more power to them. But my takeaway is, is that they've really never suffered any failure. That subject two is the answer to all problems. Don't worry about interest rates because you there's subject two deals everywhere, uh, which I could talk about subject two in 10 different episodes on that topic because that is a used and abused exit strategy or acquisition strategy. Um, but those things are not realistic. That was my frustration too. They start throwing out the word salad. 
oh, I would do this, I would do this, all these theories, uh, when you can clearly tell that they have no experience in doing it. If I lose money on a long-term rental, I'll just Airbnb it. That's So Jill and I were listening to that episode while driving through Yellowstone National Park on our Starlink, <laughs> looking at the bears and, and all the critters. And we, she kept pausing and she's like, how can they, that's what <laughs> we like rewind it over and over again. And this is not a, a bigger pockets bashing episode by any means, because no. I have a lot of respect for what they do. My point is, is that there's a lot of garbage information out there. And I'm not saying that bigger pockets is garbage, but in general, there's a lot of garbage on YouTube. There's a lot of garbage in podcasts. There's a lot of people that just are simply not doing the work, but they're pontificating as if they are realtors. There are realtors that run around like they are God's gift to the green earth. But then when you pull up their statistics, which are pretty much open record, you see, they haven't done anything. There are folks that get letters behind their name and suddenly become an authority in all things. I just recently worked with a realtor that had PhD behind his name. Oh gosh. And yeah, that, that helps him. <laughs> which by the way, guys, if you're a PhD, good on you. But when you bring it into the business world, it is not an effective marketing strategy. I'll leave it there. It's just not an effective marketing strategy. That would be like Mike attaching his FAA endorsements uh, on his signature line when he's talking about cash flow guys. Nobody at cash flow guys gives two shits about what airplane Mike can fly. It's, yeah, it's true. What I like about this podcast is everyone thinks it's a get rich quick or even a get rich slow way of becoming financially independent. But Tyler, you don't live off your money from your short-term rentals. No. What money do you live off of? Real estate commissions. Working as a realtor. Yep. That is yeah. my everyday money. That is the money that pays my bills, my real estate commissions. I will say I have a large portfolio of notes, both performing and non-performing, as well as precious metal, gold and silver, namely. And I've been arbitraging gold and silver for 20 plus years. Uh, I bought, I first bought gold. I believe it was around 500 an ounce. Uh, I recently, I, to this day go to garage sales and pawn shops and I respond to people running ads. I look in rural communities. For example, I own property up near Cedar Key, Florida, which is a very rural community. So up there, when people want to sell things, they don't do Facebook. They don't trust Facebook or Twitter or any of that garbage. They put it in the local paper. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy a few months ago that put it in there that he needed money for his granddaughter and he was selling some of his gold and silver. And he put his phone number in the paper, the local paper. You pay, get, I don't know, you pay 50 cents for it at the grocery store. And I flipped through that thing religiously because I love arbitrage. It, to me, it's like my favorite thing in the whole world. And I called the guy and luckily I was the only one that responded to the ad. And I went up there and I bought about, about seven ounces of gold and a bunch of silver. I don't remember how much silver, but seven ounces of gold. So gold right now is about what? What is it, Mike? 2,000 an ounce right now, something like that? Uh, something close to it. I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. Anyway, I got it for $1,000 an ounce. I can hang on to it and add it to my stash because I'm, I'm a stacker. I believe in stacking that stuff. Um, and that's, I'm not preaching that as an investment strategy for y'all. It's just something I enjoy it. I like looking at the shiny gold and silver. It makes me happy. But I decided that I wanted to arbitrage it instead. Because I wanted another a new vehicle that could pull our camper a lot better than the Jeep. I was going to sell the Jeep, but I hadn't sold the Jeep yet. Uh, had money in savings for a new. We keep uh, we we do follow Dave Ramsey. We Jill and I have for years, and I know people are like ah oh, Dave Ramsey. Nah, 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 nah. 
Well, I don't agree with everything he says, but I agree with a lot of what he says. And he has a lot of good information in there if you're paying attention. So before you throw the baby out with the bathwater and ignore good advice, you may want to take another look at the Dave Ramsey situation. Anyway, I digress. My point of bringing this up is I took that gold and I sold it on eBay for full retail, which, hey, that was a huge upside. I made a nice Mm -hmm. profit. Uh, that supplemented the cash I already had set aside to buy another vehicle. So I was able to get this, this new other vehicle. I got a, a Ford truck, F two fifty super duty. And then I wanted to rent, renovate it because I don't believe in buying new vehicles. I bought the Jeep new, but that's, that's probably only the second vehicle I've ever bought new or third vehicle, everything else I bought used and let somebody else take the depreciation hit. So long story short, I flipped the gold on eBay. Arbitrage profits were through the ceiling. I got full on. I got way more than spot because on eBay, you get, you, you sell for the same amount a dealer does. I got spot plus premium. So I was getting, uh, I don't remember what it was. I want to say like $2,300 or something like that for gold Eagles and well, you've one been, ounce gold bars. You've been arbitraging through eBay in the past, right? Yeah. I've been arbitraging for eBay for God, 25 years, but I'm going to take a little segue here. Now that sounds great. That's a great story, right? Boy, Tyler's the smartest guy on the planet. Well, I had enough sales to rack up about, I don't know, $18,000 in revenue. Well, because I hadn't been on eBay in a long time, I've been busy with the real estate fund and working on our assisted living facility and all that. I haven't really had much time for recreation. And that's what eBay is for me is recreation. So I immediately, when I went on to eBay and I sold all that stuff, that became a red flag for eBay. eBay locked my account, canceled all the rest of my auctions that I had going, which was about a dozen of them. Cause I learned to sell the stuff individually by the piece mm-hmm. and I had a whole bunch of like 10 ounce silver bars and one ounce gold bars and gold, uh, gold maples and, and gold Eagles. I had $15,000 or $18,000 worth of sales that they immediately canceled it all uh, they, they, of auctions, I should say. And I had an already accumulated $18,000 worth of sales, which they pretty much locked up your bank account. Then they did. So they, they, they didn't do anything until I had shipped all the stuff out. So I packaged Shit. up the stuff, shipped it off to the buyers. Buyers received it, left positive feedback, fast shipping, great seller, blah, 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 blah. And then I get a notice from eBay that my account is frozen and that my everything's going to be locked. Everything's locked up. They will not give me any distributions. And some people say, well, you should have used PayPal. Eh, you can't anymore on eBay. They got it blocked. So I go to call eBay and there's no phone number. I go to email them and it goes to just some general mailbox where you get a generic reply back. So I waited for two weeks thinking I just lost 18 grand. My money's locked up. Then I get an email from them saying, we need you to uh, send us the last three months of your bank statements. eBay wants to see your financial records. Right. Because they think you're some mafioso guy. I don't know. So needless to say, I wasn't pleased about that. And I sent them a bank account. They sent me a reply that they show that I have accounts at these other banks as well. And I need to send all my account records. They can see that? Oh, yeah. Including my corporations. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. So oh, they're yeah. almost like the bank when they're doing all the research on you. They pull- they're all goats. So I capitulated and sent over the stuff. And then about another week went by, silence. Silence is deafening, by the way, when they, you just opened up your kimono to, the, to these, this behemoth eBay. God, God knows who runs them. Then they came back and said that although they appreciate me sending that information, I also need to, they need to see my last three years tax returns, both personal and corporate. <laughs> so I had to send all that over. 
And then another week went by and they needed to see proof that I purchased all of where I purchased all this precious metal. Well, there's a problem. I don't have proof because I bought it from a guy from cat for cash. So I had to call somebody that I knew up in central Florida to go talk to this old man to see if we could convince the guy to write me a receipt. And fortunately oh that all God. worked out. It did. Wow. It did. And I got my money back and I got everything restored and all that. But do you think I'm going back on eBay? Hell no. Wow. My so, point of illustrating the story guys, not to interrupt your mic is that I could have just told you the front end of the story. Yeah. Look, look how smart I am. Yeah. And not let and left out the back end. And you would be left with this, oh, Tyler's the smartest guy in the world. But see, that would not be factual. That's not the reality of things. The reality is, is that although it went really well in the front end, it went really bad on the back end. Fortunately, I was made whole. But if you think I was comfortable with eBay holding $18,000 of my money for a month and a half. Wow. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, so same thing, just like the short-term rental, the market changed. Yes. So you've been using eBay, no problem, for 23 years or whatnot. This is what you do, the arbitrage. People yep. excited, oh, I got to do the same thing Tyler's doing. And then the market changed in ways that we can't really control, maybe we couldn't even see. Yeah, and, and that's a good reason why you still act as a realtor because you're, right. not, you're not living off the uh, money from your arbitrage. You're not living off the money from your short-term rentals. You're not going out buying Lamborghinis and showing off, oh, look, I'm such a great real estate investor. Look look at the money I'm making. Because if you did, we might not be talking right now. <laughs> yeah. And the key is, guys, I have buckets. Hmm. So when you set up your financial life, and this is, I'll admit, this is Dave Ramsey-ish, and this is where I got it from, but it works for me. I'm not saying you have to do it, but if you want to have a little more peaceful life, then try this. I like to buy doodads. I'm a doodadder. I love doodads. Mm. My wife would give me grief if I bought doodads all the time with the family money. So when I arbitrage things, that is what pays for my doodads. My, I told my wife, I wanted new, I first wanted a tractor for my property. I have 25 acres of land. It's a heavily wooded forest. I'm building trails and food plots and all this stuff. I need a tractor. She goes, great. Find it, figure out a way to pay for it. So I decided that I converted one of my vacant, uh, a vacant lot next to one of my properties to a hip, uh, a vacant lot on hip cam. We talked about this in a previous episode. That bad boy might, by the way, did stay rented during my lull of reservations and that paid the mortgage. Yeah. I kept you afloat. It did. So, but normally that money goes to my, I call it my, my cabin expenses. So when I, buy new things for the cabin. I buy equipment and stuff for the tractor that comes out of that bucket. And it's always there for a rainy day. And in this case, I needed to tap into it to pay the mortgage because the the nasty tenants decided to rent somebody else's place instead of mine and didn't contribute to my mortgage like I've thought of, I thought I've trained them to do. But I have contingency plans. You know, I, by doing these little things, you want a new car? Don't just go out and buy a new car and take on additional debt. Figure out a way to generate some revenue, Mike. For you, it was renting a, a house and then reaching out to your pilot buddies and saying, hey, you want to come stay here on your layovers? It'll be X amount a month. And that started out with, so it would be free for Mike. And now it's an income generator. It's going to pay Mike's mortgage and his new fancy house in Salida, Colorado. Well, open up the kimono with that, right? So I do my numbers. I'm a big numbers guy. And then when I tell the pilots, hey, I'm going to be asking... Uh, uh, $550 a month. But 
the way I'm working it with my legal team and my tax accounting team, you're able to claim residency in the state of Nevada. So that saves you over $1,000 a month. So in the end, you're coming up ahead. But then everyone, I got feedback. They're like, oh, well, you could be making a lot of money off this. I'm like, wait a minute. So tomorrow I sign the lease and I'm not going to have 100% occupancy on day one. I might not have 100 occupancy until month three. So all that time comes out of my pocket, comes out of my accounts, my loans, whatnot. So when people are saying, oh, well, you're being greedy because, oh, you're making $2,000 a month off of this. That's not how business works. It's not like you step in and you're fully occupied. I'm making the $2,000 a month. I'm saying this because just like anything else, real estate, entrepreneur, business-wise, it's always very uncomfortable at first. It's uncomfortable when you have to sell yourself and your product to sometimes you're potentially your friend uh, who comes back and say, oh, you're, you're being greedy. You're making money on us. Why don't we just share expenses? They don't understand how the business works. And number right. two, the painful part is now for the next you know three months, it's going to be a little painful until the business starts running itself until I get enough systems going so I don't have to give it 100% of my time. Uh, systems as in like, hey, the, the cleaning lady would come in every other week. I will have somebody come in and take a look and make sure everything's okay. I'll have a VA. Well, if anybody has concerns, they will contact the VA before they contact me. Small stuff like that. Before I get all those systems to up and going, I'm not making two grand a month. In fact, it's really painful up until then. And, you know, Tyler, you know, you're talking about eBay. You're talking about um, short-term rentals are making so much money every month and then it stopped. That's part of the process of being really uncomfortable, really, really uncomfortable. And how I see it is when you get uncomfortable, that's when you get motivated to improve. That's when you get motivated. You get off your lazy boy like, oh, I need to adapt to the market. You make some changes to your short-term rental, make some changes the way you arbitrage. So it hurts. It's painful. That's the reality. That's why I like this episode so much. It's not us driving in Lamborghinis saying life is easy, life is great. It's not. But you have to take those uncomfortable situations, grow from them, and that's how you expand later on. I'm here to tell you guys, and they mentioned this in the Bigger Pockets episode, and I will agree with this fact. They said, if you take enough deliberate forward action, you're going to eventually get results. Yeah. But it's it's very easy for us to sit back here and go, well, there are no deals right now because there's just too, too much demand. Airbnb is a flunk because there's just too much demand. That is true in some markets, but that is not true in all markets. Because if I listed a new place on Airbnb in Salida, Colorado, I could charge whatever I want. Because why? It's river season. That's why. And the whole world is, they're sitting in their cubicles right now with their little river rafting uh, helmets on, ready to go. Their mountain bikes are all lubed up, you know, and they just put away their snowboards. So there's always a customer out there, but you have to understand the market you're working in. You have to ask good questions, which takes me back to last, I think it was last week of the other week's episode where I talked about chat GPT. And I did get some feedback on that uh, from folks on their opinion or polls. And I wonder if they use chat GPT to get the polls. <laughs> one guy sent in uh, of the respondents familiar with chat GPT, 63% don't trust the information it produces. So to that, I say this of the respondents familiar with chat GPT. Well, I'm familiar with surgery. 
although I'm not a surgeon, so would my opinion matter in that survey? So if you ask me, are surgeons qualified to do what they do? Well, I don't really like the idea that there are people out there that cut other people up and I don't want to, I don't want to be one of the victim, right? So I may look at that and go, oh, I don't know. And then if me and the majority of people go, do you trust your doctor? Well, after the COVID debacle, those stats would not look good. But for you to say that, you really nobody really understands what happened with the whole COVID thing or any disease or sickness. If you don't, do you trust your cancer doctor or anything like this? Do you trust your accountant? It, it's tough to say because you're not an expert in the topic to begin with. When you're thinking about using tools such as AI, guys, they are just that, tools, which means, yes, you could drive nails with a crescent wrench, yeah. but that doesn't mean you should. I have a tools in the back of my truck right now because I need to fix things on the road, pulling the camper or whatever. Sometimes I got to fix things, but there's a tool for every job and some tools can do more than one job. So guys, when you take information from these podcasts and from these videos, think of those things as tools. Just because you learn something new from either today or from somebody else, another episode, another widget you should think about investing your hard-earned dollars in, think twice about it. Oh, here's a hammer. Should I comb my hair with this hammer? Probably not. That would be uncomfortable, especially for me. I don't have any hair. But what could I use this hammer for? I could drive a nail with it. Going back to real estate, should I buy a rental? What market are you in is the first first question I would have. Oh, I'm in, uh, I don't know, East LA. Okay. Or downtown South Side of Chicago. My next question is, how much ammunition do you own? Do you own <laughs> firearms? Maybe explosives. Are you an army general? You know, because you may want to reconsider investing in those markets because it would be a challenge if you're not from that area. But if you said, well, I want to buy something in Vail, Colorado. I'd be like, well, that'd probably be a good plan because you really can't go wrong in Vail, Colorado. Those places rent year-round for big money and seasonally. So don't take general advice as absolutes across investing circles. That's dangerous. When people pontificate and, and make uh, broad statements that really don't have any context to go along with them, like the market's going to crash. And when you see your influencers, wink, wink, quote, quote, using clickbait, to get you to their video, start thinking about how legitimate is that? There's a YouTuber out there by the name of Meet Kevin. That guy is the big clickbaitiest clickbaiter of all time. Who's the little midget? Graham Stephan. He's another <laughs> one. The, he calls himself a midget. It's okay. I mean, sorry, little person. Uh, he's, a, he's a terrible clickbaiter. And I admit, I still get sucked in. I finally said, yeah. stop showing me this content on YouTube because I just get irritated. It's a strategy to get you to take action, and it's very effective. But if you tried to follow what me, Kevin, did, that guy's all over the map. I consider myself a pretty smart guy. I can't keep up with that kid. He's all over the place. And he's a multi-gazillionaire, and that's all fine and dandy. But you'll run yourself ragged trying to be like me, Kevin. Parting thoughts, Mike? Yeah, I I love this episode. It's all about opening the kimono and not, not everyone's driving a Lamborghini. And if they are, they probably rented it. Because the Probably. truth of the matter is you you can't just set it and forget it and all of a sudden you're rich and, and a millionaire. You know, That's like right. you talked about on here, Tyler's not living off the money off of short-term rentals. He's not living off the money when he's arbitraging gold. He's smart with it. 
myself, I'm still an airline pilot because that's I live off that. My real estate investments, like Tyler said, that's kind of icing on the cake. And the icing's not always easy to make. <laughs> that's right. Well, guys, we're going to wrap it up right there. And it really, quick summary. This all starts with one forward step. Mm-hmm. Stop looking for the home run deal. Figure out a way to make $100 more than you didn't have last month. If you can generate $100 in, in revenue, and I'm not even going to say passive income, because passive income depends on how you look at it. And we can talk about that all week long. But at the end of the day, figure out a way to earn an extra $100 without having to put forth too much extra labor. Then the next month, make it 200 or even 150 But start taking positive actions. Start making thoughts. Get on information databases. Read books. Consume information. It's all out there. And I'll say this, guys. this The, the artificial intelligence, love it or hate it, it's here to stay. And if you use it properly, if you use it as a research tool and take some time to check and make sure things are accurate, It'll help answer a lot of questions that you probably didn't even know you had up in your brain. It's going to get you a lot farther. So guys, we're going to leave it right there. We hope you have a great week and we will catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.